funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we're starting a little series of season previews that I did last offseason as well. And with a little bit of a shorter offseason, we're just going to focus on the teams that are going to be direct competition for the Sacramento Kings in the play-in slash bottom of the playoffs in the Western Conference. And the Memphis Grizzlies are first up on that list. And couldn't think of anyone better to have joined me than Sean Coleman, who writes for SB Nation Grizzlies and is also a podcaster for the Locked On Grizzlies. How you doing, Sean? And I can't say thanks enough for joining me, man. Doing all right. How are you today? I'm doing good. I was just telling you before we recorded, I accidentally uh, slipped up on the time we were starting here because I got really excited about a. Uh, 2K releasing today, and I tell myself every year that I'm not going to get this game because it kind of sucks, but it's the only basketball game, and I get way too excited. So that's where a lot of my head is going to be at today, but we're going to transition to focusing on the Grizzlies a little bit here, and I want to start with just give me a little bit of a general rundown of last season, Um, and and I know that's a very general, broad question, so whichever direction you want to take it in, but do you feel like they overperformed, underperformed, and the reasoning behind that last year when they secured that uh, eight seed? Oh, yeah, they definitely overperformed. Um, I, I think that it was fair to, and, and, and like I said, thank you um, for having me. It's, it's always wonderful to talk with you, uh, Brendan. Um, I think it was, they certainly overperformed, not necessarily in terms of the fact that, you know, this team just completely did unexpected. I don't think they exceeded expectations last year to the level they did Jaws rookie season, but then making the playoffs, winning the playing and playing game in uh, uh, Oakland against Golden State, winning game one against Utah, especially when you consider how crowded of an end of the season schedule they had. It was phenomenal. Listen, at the start of the year, injuries, especially not being able to have Jaron on the court, not being able to have Justice Winslow on the court, who never panned out. You know, that certainly put a, a bit of a watered down feeling on the start of the season. Jaw, his injury didn't really allow for him to take off like some had hoped he would in his second season. But you had Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas, and Kyle Anderson all respond to that with career years. When they were on the court, they played well. And then Jaw finally started going at the end of the year. He had his big moments. Kyle Anderson obviously took a step forward with his shot. Jonas Valanciunas with his offensive consistency. Dylan Brooks with his defense and two-way ability. So it certainly was a special year, another step forward for this team. And it was great to see that in big moments, even when external factors were not in their favor a lot of the season, this Grizzlies team had the resiliency, played well on the road, got the job done, and made it to the playoffs and really added to the foundation to make their future hopefully special, uh, as many of us hope it is here in Memphis. 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of the Sacramento fan base is a little envious of Memphis's situation of a very quick rebuild while Sacramento has been trying to do that for probably about 10, 15 years here and treading water in the same sort of range. So a little envious, but I think the team's rosters are uh, comparable at this point. And it, I'm sure it's great to see a lot of the progress coming through internal development and in these draft picks. Um, but let's start with, uh, you mentioned Jonas Valanciunas, who was a really big part of that team last year, and he did get moved on from this offseason. And I'm curious your thoughts on the trade and just to lay it out for anybody that is uh, unaware on the details. The Pelicans traded Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the 10th overall pick um, and the 40th pick, along with a Lakers 2022 first for Jonas Valanciunas, Memphis's 17th and the 51st. So pretty much ended up being Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and the 10th pick in order for the Grizzlies to swap 17 and Valanchunas is the meat and potatoes of that deal. And what were your initial reactions when that happened? When, like you said, Valanchunas was such a crucial part of that team last season. I was pretty excited. And the reason why that is, is because as wonderful as Valanchunas was, Brendan, the thing about it is this, is that he is a phenomenal talent. But for the Grizzlies, there were many times where he was their best offensive player. And just to be honest, when it comes to high leverage playoff situations, if Jonas Valanciunas is your best offensive player, it's not likely that's going to be a highly, that's going to highly correlate with you winning because that likely means that you're not shooting from distance well. And with him being on an expiring contract, we had to make some decisions between Tyus Jones, Grayson Allen, Kyle Anderson, Jonas Valanciunas. It made sense to sell high on Jonas because as we've seen with Steven Adams uh, uh, last offseason and uh, Clint Capella this offseason, Jonas may be in line to ask for 18 to $20 million a year past next season. And so the Grizzlies, I just don't feel we're going to pay that. So they used his present value, went ahead and got a replacement for him, added to their assets, getting in a better draft position this year, better draft position next year as well. And they did a great job in doing it. And by trading Jonas, though it may be a bit of a step back to start the season for the Grizzlies offense, you also have them having a reason to put more of an emphasis on putting a, a preference on finding high percentage shots from deep to balance out what they can do in the paint. So yes, you're going to, you're going to feel the loss of Jonas. He was a phenomenal person, phenomenal part of the culture here, obviously a phenomenal part of what the Grizzlies were doing on the court, but it was the right move to not only get assets for the future, take a chance on Zaire Williams, but also really betting on their young core and hopefully becoming an offense. That's going to be more conducive to winning in high leverage and playoff situations. Yeah. And, you know, everybody talks about shooting and how important that is from the big man and other positions in, in the league in today's game. And obviously that's a, a notable downgrade uh, when you're talking that aspect of the game from Adams to Valanchunas. Um, and I'm just curious how you think, because like you're saying, Valanchunas being one of, if not the most important offensive player on the team last year, um, like it is, do you see that as being some growing pains, even if it is better long-term for this young talent to take more of a a responsibility in that aspect. I mean, this is a team that already I think was a little thin when it came to shooting last year. So is that a concern that you think you're going to have coming into this season? Yeah, we're probably going to have some growing pains, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, I believe we're playing the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, and I think we're playing four straight playoff teams. I think Golden State as well um, in four of our first five games as we take a trip out west. It's certainly going to be some growing pains, but that's fine. You know, that's that's what this team is expecting. If they don't make the playoffs next year, it's not necessarily a negative thing because they're going to have to get some, you know, my 
miles underneath this approach to go with ball movement, shooting from distance, and making the adjustment. That doesn't mean that that leads to Steven Adams playing 30 minutes a night either. It means that perhaps you go a bit more small ball, let Jaron get his feet under him, but if he shows he's healthy, let him play the five a lot. Play Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton more with Dylan, Ja, Kyle, and and uh, Jaron. And then from there, you still have a very good defensive lineup, but a lineup that also is surrounding Ja with shooters. So I think that's the eventual evolution, and I do think it's natural for it to take some time to where you're going to have some painful moments. But from potential failures comes success, and that's going to be the right remedy to make us as good as we can be in being able to shoot from distance better long term. Yeah, it's so funny hearing the differences in the way that teams can approach this season, even though they're kind of rubbing shoulders like the Kings just desperately need to make the playoffs this year with a little bit more of short-sighted moves. While they're not exactly sacrificing the future, I think they could have been more future-focused if they decide to do that, if they would have decided to do that. Um, But clearly playoffs are a goal for the Sacramento team and understandably 15, 16 years of not making the playoffs. um, I, I get that. And I think another telling sign was taking Zaire Williams with that 10th pick and in, in part of that uh, Steven Adams deal was moving from 17 to 10. And, you know, is, is that another thing to you that, that points towards really focusing on the future because Zaire is likely to not have much impact this year. It's a guy that I was really interested for the Kings, even at nine, but I, you know, was, if that would have been the selection, I would have gone into it understanding to me, it's probably even a good amount of G league reps. You know, he might see a good amount of time with the hustle. Is that kind of where you're at with Zaire? And it's, it's telling about the direction in the future of this franchise. Yes. Um, I, 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 certainly feel that that's the case with how good the Grizzlies have done, you know, from draft from getting, you know, lucky and drafting jaw and Jaron, but being competent drafting those guys. And then how well they've done at building off the Mark Gasol and Mike Conley trades, just continuing to benefit from those trades two years ago, the Grizzlies have done so well at making moves on the margins or making moves to get a supporting cast. They've created so much unanticipated extra value, bought themselves a bit of time or wiggle room to where now they can start to take a risk or two. And that's why they made this Jonas trade was to move from 17 up to 10 so they could get a big wing type body that has immense potential. And of the players that were on the board at 10 with Giddy off the board, uh, Kaminga off the board, Franz Wagner off the board, I was thinking that we may go James Booknight or Moses Moody. My pick would have been Moses Moody, but we go Zaire Williams because the combination of the size that he offers, Brendan, plus his shot creation potential, and also the ability to, you know, be, you know, a bit of an asset defensively at times. I think the Grizzlies are betting on their development system, betting on who Zaire Williams is as a person. And though I'm not convinced he was their first choice, I think that he may be the most ideal choice at his ceiling for the options that were on the board. So I'm perfectly fine with it. I was a bit more, um, you know, baffled or questioned a bit more the pick of Santi Aldama later in the draft. But, you know, obviously you've got to give the benefit of the doubt to this Grizzlies front office with how well they've done drafting and identifying young talent over the past few years. Absolutely. And it's got to feel good to have that comfort of a good track record of draft picks. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of smoke to, to Giddy being the guy that Memphis was targeting. And, and who knows if that was the case, I would have gone Moody there as well. I would have gone Moody for Sacramento at nine, obviously not complaining about Davion. He had a great showing in summer league. 
Um, but as you said, I mean, I think the ceiling of Zaire, that perimeter creation from a wing is something that this roster to me uh, from the outside looking in just doesn't really have. And if Zaire pans out, I think he's an absolutely perfect fit with the core that Memphis is working with here. And then the other aspect of it, um, you know, Eric Bledsoe coming back in that deal, there was, there was a bunch of swaps that it's so hard when I was trying to put my notes together to keep up with where all of these different assets ended up going. But I see um, Chris Dunn. There is Carson Edwards. They both came from Juancho Hernan Gomez, which was part of the, and, and correct me if I'm somehow mixed up on this, which is part of Eric Bledsoe going to the Clippers as well as Patrick Beverly, um, which Patrick Beverly getting flipped to the Minnesota Timberwolves then returns, or I'm sorry, this is where, okay, let me start over here. This is where I get confused. Eric Bledsoe goes to the Clippers for Patrick Beverly. Uh, okay, break this down for me. I'm clearly struggling. No, no problem at all. So the Grizzlies got Patrick Beverly in the Jonas Valanciunas trade. He was then traded to the Los Angeles Clippers for Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Oturo, whose last name I am horrible with. <laughs> but it, Rondo, Beverly, and Oturo. Beverly, less than 48 hours later, was then swapped for Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez from Minnesota. And then Hernan Gomez was swapped for Chris Dunn and Carson Edwards, plus a 2026 second-round pick swap. So at the end of the day, the Grizzlies wound up from that Jonas trade getting Steven Adams and then a bunch of other players that, occur that occurred as well. The players that really stick out from all those moves, though, are likely – Jarrett Culver, and you perhaps could make a case for Chris Dunn due to him having a, a bit of point guard potential, some good defensive potential as well. But I do think a part of the end game for the Grizzlies this year, along with getting Zaire Williams, was really getting some intriguing wing talent. They've got plenty of intriguing backcourt talent to go with Jaw, plenty of intriguing frontcourt talent to go with Jaron, getting some wing talent to kind of back up Dylan and Kyle, and they were able to get that with Zaire and Jarrett Culver. Now, Jarrett Culver, he hasn't been good in his two years in the NBA. He may get his fourth-year option decline. He may turn out to be nothing. But I do feel the Grizzlies felt that there was more opportunity for the future to take on Culver than keeping Patrick Beverly around. We've already waived Rajon Rondo, obviously traded Hernan Gomez. I would imagine Oturo, as well as Carson Edwards, could be waived in time as well or sent elsewhere. But I think that Culver was the main in-game from the Bledsoe trade. You could see Chris Dunn making sense as well. Yeah, I think Culver is definitely an intriguing piece. I, I would have liked Sacramento to potentially take a flyer there, but um, yeah, shown some potential on the defensive end for sure. Has that wing size that you're talking about, maybe a little bit smaller than that, um, but definitely shown defensive capabilities and some nice playmaking. So I think if he can work together some finishing and clean up what is a pretty gross efficiency that he's at right now, that maybe there's something there. Um, so yeah, he, he definitely interests me a little bit. I kind of like Daniel Oturu at the time of the draft too. I liked him coming out of Minnesota, but hasn't gotten much opportunity with the Clippers. Um, and I didn't see him do all too much on their Agua Caliente roster either. So a little interesting to me there. And then when it comes to Dunn, my 
question here, um, it, it goes further than him is just, it feels like there's a lot of guards on the roster and this is kind of what you were saying, right? Like getting more wings, but does it feel like there's going to be some pretty small lineups out there sometimes? I know you mentioned, you know, Brooks, Bain and Melton, uh, maybe the idea of potentially throwing those guys out together, but it's a little bit of a smaller lineup. I know they have length and, and size to play bigger than, than their listed size positionally, but does it feel like there's going to be some pretty small lineups for Memphis this year? Yeah, and, and it does seem like that. I mean, of course, your four main guys, in my opinion, are Jaw, Dylan, Kyle, and Jaron. And, of course, you know, you don't have a true center in there, and Kyle probably plays much better at the four than he does the three as a small ball um, four. So, yes, that's an astute observation on your end, Brendan. We probably are going to be playing smaller lineups. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that that's the way the Grizzlies should go because Bain is absolutely – the best asset that you have when you come to your, to your biggest need of needing a legitimate three-point shooter. I think Bain will eventually emerge as being one of the best shooters in the league. He already is one of the best shooting talents the Grizzlies have ever had. And of course, Melton, Melton may be your third most impactful player when he's on the court. You know, you could make an argument for Dylan, but after John Jaron, Bain and Anthony Melton always makes an impact when he's on the court and his impact with jaw certainly shows as well. So size certainly will be something that will be missing a bit from a lot of the Grizzlies best players. But the key is, is to go with skill and talent, in my opinion, over necessarily size. I'm not saying you're suggesting that Brendan, that's just my hope and my purpose of suggesting that Taylor Jenkins really put an emphasis on putting the best talents on the court at all times. And that really is about featuring DeAnthony Melton and the shooting of Desmond Bain at times. I, I don't necessarily think you're going to see too many lineups with, if they keep done like a John, a Dunn or a John, a Tyus or something like that. Um, I just think that when it comes to the Grizzlies, they put an emphasis on finding two way talents that are consistently energized, consistently doing something. And that's led to them finding some smaller wings and guards, but at the end of the day, play them, see what works. And eventually if they all perform, you could potentially use them as trade assets to go get your sizable wing that we likely need for the future. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Melton and Bain are guys that I absolutely love. And uh, it's it's funny to me that, you know, typically you think of small lineups and you think of a whole lot of shooting on those lineups. And that's uh, just not exactly the case with some of these lineups we're talking about here um, in Memphis. And the last trade that uh, unless I'm missing something here was Grayson Allen for Sam Merrill and two future firsts or two. I'm sorry, two future seconds. A uh, uh, big difference there. And does that surprise we'll take that difference? We'll take that, that <laughs> I, difference. I don't blame you. Um, does that surprise you? Like Allen is a guy that I was really skeptical of at the beginning of the year. I even like, remember liking Conchar a bit better, but Allen totally came into his own. And I think um, kind of disproved a little bit of like the streakiness to his shooting. Like I, I think he found a little bit of a role on that Memphis roster. And I was kind of surprised to see him moved on from. Am I, am I off with that? Were you surprised by that deal at all? Not really. And it comes back down to the reason why they traded Jonas as well. I can certainly see where you're coming from to where with Allen, with the Grizzlies needing shooting and Allen's improvement overall in the consistency of his shooting, why would the Grizzlies really want to move on from him? Well, the reason why was because at the end of the day, the Grizzlies had three players in Bain, Melton, and Allen who really made sense at only one spot. And that was supporting Jaw in the starting lineup at times, um, you know, with Jaron being absent. Now with Jaron back, you potentially had three guys for the same spot and none of them may start. Bain and Melton, I feel, are more talented 
than Grayson. And they're also younger. The Grizzlies also had more control for them long-term. And with Grayson on an expiring contract, it just made sense. You already had sensible ways to make up for his minutes with more talented guys you control longer. Move on from him. And it's no surprise at all that the Grizzlies traded him to Milwaukee. With Budenholzer and and, um, Taylor Jenkins' relationships, the fact that Bryn Forbes moved from Milwaukee back to San Antonio, and you know Milwaukee loves their three-point shooters, I think it was a great situation for Allen. He certainly has become someone who has improved his shot. He was one of the bench best bench shooters in the bubble. If his shot's not falling, it's hard for him to find value for extended periods. But with the talent that's in Milwaukee, it was a great landing spot for him. The Grizzlies were good to restock their second round picks, but they did right by Allen by sending him to a good situation. Yeah, it makes sense. When you pitch it like that, I'm very easily picking Melton and Bain over Grayson Allen. And yeah, like you said, maybe the shooting will be pretty valuable for Milwaukee if he does end up being consistent there. Um, And then when it comes to some of the areas that you're looking for internal growth and improvement for some of these guys, I want to start with Jaron Jackson because he kind of feels like the X factor on the the growth and trajectory of this team. And and Zaire fits that profile as well now. But Jaron Jackson to me was, I I thought, you know, 1A and 1B with John Morant and with his inability to stay healthy. And I know it's not the same injury over and over or anything like that. And just not performing on the defensive end in the way that I think a lot of people expected him to, myself included, what feels like the, the swing skills or the, the improvement that you're looking to see from Jackson this year, aside from just staying healthy? The best way I can describe it, Brendan, is combining the offensive output that he added in his second year when it came to him averaging the 6.5 threes per game when he was on the court, shooting nearly 40%. Something that no one in NBA history had done at his height with as young as he was before, seeing that type of offensive potential, but also being able to see him get more defensively consistent, as you mentioned. But the thing about it is this, is that when he came back last year, Jaron Jackson Jr. actually averaged 3.3 blocks, I believe, per 100 possessions. He was either that or per 36. Anywho, The point I make it is is that when it came to his defense when he came back last year, not only did you see a significant increase in his rebounding rates, but you also saw a significant increase in his block and steal rates. You're getting those moments from Jackson where he creates a turnover and then he is able to finish on the other end in the same flow of a defense and offensive possession. That's where it starts. If you can get that happen in three, four, five times a game, then you could start him getting more consistent on his defensive presence as the anchor. That's where I'm really wanting to see the consistency. Obviously, you want the fouls to stop as well. You hope that certainly will. But the really encouraging thing for me last year, Brendan, was the overall improve, improvement in rebounding, block, and steal rates for him to become a really, really dynamic defender, someone like a De'Anthony Melton who can cause havoc by creating turnovers and leading an opportunistic defense. If you can combine Jaron doing 30 minutes of that each night, with him getting back to shooting five, six, seven threes a game, that's going to really turn into a very valuable player and someone that certainly is a great compliment to John Moran. Absolutely. I would love for Jaron to hit that ceiling. Uh, yeah, the hypothetical of him is, is just so intriguing to me. Do you feel like it's defined if, if he's a four or five or how the front office views him or, or even yourself? 
Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if you want to define him as a four or five, but to your extent, him as a five, I think right now is critical for the Grizzlies. I've said for the longest time, I felt that Jaron being a four probably makes the more sense because that would allow for him to not have to bang down low with bigger bodies. And, and, and the fact that I do think Jaron may be more susceptible to frequent injuries, you know, nothing long-term, but just, you know, stretches of being injured or playing less than hundred percent. If he played 25 to 30 minutes at the five, I do feel the Grizzlies like the idea of being able to switch in between playing with another big body and playing the five. I do think Jaron will be playing the five more often in closing lineups, but at the end of the day, along with that, it may be even more important than that. Despite whether you put him at the four and five, I just think the Grizzlies' main focus is is utilizing Jaron in the way that will allow for them to get the most shooters out there. And in high Mm -hmm. leverage and in playoff potential situations, that means instead of Stephen Adams starting with Jaron Jackson Jr., you've got an Xavier Tillman who's more, you know, conducive on offense offense to shooting the three and pattern instead of an Adams. I think that's the long-term goal. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And obviously the highlight, the star of the team, John Morant, um, what is the development that you're looking for from him in this season? The shooting to consistently be there. If he can shoot at the level that he did in the second half of the season where he was making 36 to 37% of his threes on around four to five attempts, if he could shoot 35% or better on five or more attempts per game, I certainly think that's a step forward. And if he's doing that, in my opinion, I think you're looking at a guy that's averaging 20 or more points and can also average eight or more assists due to the fact that the Grizzlies are going to be more reliant on passing on the perimeter. And if Jaw does that and he's able to you know, maintain the effectiveness that he has in the lane, you're talking about a guy who's pushing for an all-star appearance, kind of like De'Aaron Fox did this year in Sacramento. Um, I, I do think there's a lot of similarities between Jaw and Fox. So the best way I might be able to put it on this podcast is at least is for Jaw, maybe with a bit better shooting, Jaw to take the step forward in his game that De'Aaron Fox took in his game this year. That, I think, would certainly be a a very well-received and a a very encouraging sign for Ja, hopefully with the playmaking supporting the scoring as well. Yeah, definitely makes sense there. And uh, before I ask you about a couple lineups and and your expectations for record-wise and finishing when it comes to the standings this year, is there any sort of storyline that's intriguing to you that um, somebody from the outside wouldn't really be too all aware of, like maybe a guy that you expect to to be on the trade block this year or some sort of smaller storyline, you know, the the second string power forward that's or something like that, some smaller storyline that's interesting to you that you're keeping tabs on? Yes, uh, definitely. The, the number one storyline to me, uh, besides John Jaron, um, is the Grizzlies' defense and bench, and specifically if DeAnthony Melton is featured more, and if Brandon Clark is healthy, you have the Grizzlies really being in a good position to do some great things, I feel, compared to the rest of the NBA with their defense and with their bench. Last year, we were uh, a top 10 defense, arguably. We led the NBA in turnovers force per game in the first half of the season. Now you add DeAnthony Melton potentially in a in a more significant role, a healthy Jaron to that defense, and you've got a team that easily could lead the league in steals once again, lead it in turnovers force, perhaps push being a top six or seven, maybe even top five defense. If that works out the way that it does, and then you have Brendan Clark, 
who gets healthy, he's featured off the bench to support Tyus and Bain and perhaps Tillman. You also have a Grizzlies bench that it's already been a top five bench over the past two years. Maybe it's the best in the NBA. So the health of a Brandon Clark, the Anthony Melton being in a more featured role, I think that if the Anthony Melton's more featured, that helps this Grizzlies team have one of the better defenses, if not one of the best defenses in the NBA. If you've got a healthy Brandon Clark, you've got one of the best benches. If those two things are working in the Grizzlies' favor, that's really what could allow for them to exceed expectations in the th- for the third straight season. Yeah, it's funny. This Memphis team and Sacramento teams kind of succeeded in opposite ways last season. You know, Sacramento being very offensive focused and uh, obviously on the opposite end, defensive focused for that Memphis team. And to me, it, it feels like when you are a strong defense, that just leads to more consistency, because even when you're a good offense, you're going to have your off nights. But you can bring that defense night in and night out. And Sacramento brought a really bad defense on the floor night in and night out. Um, So I think that led to some of the inconsistencies of Sacramento's roster last year. And it makes sense why Memphis was a little more steady in comparison. Um, Where do you see, what do you see as a starting lineup next year? I see as a starting lineup, Jaw, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, and Steven Adams. I think the reason Mm -hmm. why the Grizzlies are going to go with that is to basically make it to where they're going to go with the most certainty. Go with the veterans, go with their two best players being surrounded by the veterans of the team so they know that they've got the most certainty on the court to at least start games, get through the tough part of the schedule by this unit playing the most minutes together. I think that's what you're looking at as far as the starting lineup goes. Makes sense. And do you think it's likely the same for closing lineups? I know it'll vary a little bit game to game based on matchups, but typically is it feel like it's going to be the same for the closing lineup? I really, really hope not. And I don't mean that as anything negative towards Steven Adams. I just hope that the reason why that's not the case is because Taylor Jenkins is number one, putting his best talents on the court, but also because it means our younger players are progressing. My ideal closing lineup is Jaw, DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Kyle, and Jaron. You've got four very good defensive Mm. players, four very good to above average shooter supporting jaw. And you're, and you're able to really make a difference on the defensive end, not only shooting threes, but also gaining extra possessions through a really opportunistic lineup. If not the Anthony Melton, perhaps Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark, who both have shown two-way ability, both have shown versatility outside of just scoring and blocking shots. I would hope that starting with Melton, but perhaps Tillman or Clark to support Jaron, I hope that one of those three guys will be in the lineup more than Steven Adams because that means that our overall talent is evolving and that some of our, our most critical young components besides John Jaron are progressing in their careers. Love it. I am all here for the DeAnthony Melton praise. I know that uh, a lot of the Sacramento fan base, I know Jill Adge, Bryant West are both big fans of him. So am I here. Um, and there's there's good reason for it with his defensive versatility and some of the playmaking he's shown on the offensive end as well. Um, what is your expectation for this Memphis Grizzlies record next season? And, and not necessarily a specific number, but kind of a a finishing range when it comes to seeding. Does it feel like they are a play-in team hovering right around the spot that they were last year, or, or where do you see them sort of finishing when it comes to the playoff race? They finished in the, I believe it was the ninth spot last year. Was I see they 38- here. A, a, well, so I think that they were ninth in terms of the play-in itself. I may be wrong. Oh, yes, yes. They have a worse yeah, percentage uh, than Golden State, but then they won that game, right? That is correct, yeah. So I think that eighth or ninth spot 
likely is the case. But my point was, was that 38 and 34 last year got you in that eighth or ninth spot. And you're seeing you go, Golden State's gotten better. You know, the Clippers may be falling off a bit. New Orleans is going to make a push. You know, you've seen a couple of teams change around as far as they're making a push. I think the Grizzlies probably land in that 40 to 43 win range, slightly under 500 to just above 500 last year. They would have been on pace for about 44 wins. They did lose Jonas, you know, so you're really betting on your young talent. And I think that young talent is going to have to, you know, overcome being with the losing record to start off the season. So I think 40 to 43 wins if a lot of the younger players develop and if our health goes right, and that'll put us right in that eight to nine spot. So that's, that's what I'll go with 40 to 43 wins. And in that eighth or ninth spot, once again, yeah, um, man, I, I I totally could see that for Memphis. It just worries me a little bit about Sacramento's chances. You know, I think that Memphis is a team that I, I would definitely place above Sacramento going into the year, but I also think that it's a team they're going to be directly competing with and should be in the same tier. Um, I think the teams you mentioned, you know, I think of New Orleans, Memphis, uh, San Antonio, I, I think will fall a little bit with uh, losing DeMar DeRozan, but we'll see. And I, I think that it's going to be, Sacramento has a lot of work to do in order to gain some ground on this Memphis roster. And luckily, um, it feels like from what you said earlier, Memphis is in a situation where, you know, they could struggle, maybe underperform and miss the playoffs. But as long as there is some of this internal development, you know, like Jaron staying healthy and showing improvements on the defensive end, jaw showing development in his jumper that you would still feel good about next year. Right. Because Sacramento doesn't have that luxury, really, it feels like. Yeah, it's it's the internal development. If Jaw can take the step up to being in the All Star conversation, maybe Jaron can make the uh, move towards uh, being in the most improved conversation. You know, we see DeAnthony Melton or Brandon. Clark really step up as being, you know, a part of the future. Dylan Brooks maintained some of the success he had towards the second half of last year. My whole goal for next season in terms of evaluating whether or not this is a good season or not is player development more than it is wins and losses. Get your clear guys. Be certain about who the clear pieces for the future in Memphis are. Get some certainty on who some valuable trade assets are to add an upgrade to that roster. And that's how I'll consider this a very good success while also seeing if Taylor Jenkins, in which the Grizzlies are putting more of an emphasis on his ability to continue to develop talent. Can he be the guy to lead this team? I don't think he's on the job. You know, his job's up for grabs or anything like that. I think we're one or two years away from that discussion. But how does y'all develop? How does Jaron develop? To what young players step up in what different variety and how does Taylor Jenkins do developing himself? Those are the biggest storylines to me more than wins and losses. Absolutely. Feels a little bit different than Sacramento's point of view. Uh, definitely coach that probably could find himself on the hot seat pretty quickly if he's not already, um, which is an interesting thing to say going into the year. I, I guess that's unfair. Obviously that is the guy that Monty McNair is sticking with and Luke Walton. So we will hey. see. They shouldn't be, but that, yeah, that, sorry, I just I'm want to interject you. that. <laughs> that is uh, not an unpopular opinion. I think most of the listeners are going to agree with you there. And Sean, I can't say enough about the all the work you do covering the Grizzlies, man. I, I've interacted with you a handful of times here, and, and it's always great talking with you again. Sean Coleman, it's at StatsSAC on Twitter. Um, is that your initials, SAC? Every time yes. I see that, I think of Sacramento. <laughs> yes, that, that that is the initials. Yep, Sean Austin Coleman is is my name, uh, the middle name, and not of my grandfather. But that is the case. And and Brandon, I did want to say this. I echo your words. It's 
always a pleasure to work with you. I do know that you did a project with Adam Taylor in the past doing some Grizzlies podcasts. That's where we got to know each other. So much fun always talking with you, you and others. The Sacramento fan base is lucky to have y'all. And I'm excited for Sacramento, like Therese Halliburton, you know, um, De'Aaron Fox and their development. You got – the guy I'm blanking out. Who was, Davion. who was your Davion? I don't know why that blanked that, but I really do think that one thing that could come from that is you've got Davion Mitchell now with his defensive upside, which you need in any way, shape, or form for Sacramento. You know, you've got both Halliburton and Davion. Kind of let them see which one's going to be your supporter for De'Aaron for the future. And then you've got the other being that the head of a trade package that really could bring in someone, maybe even as soon as Ben Simmons. So I know that Sacramento is the butt of a lot of jokes, but I do think there's some intriguing stuff going on there, at least more so compared to the past recent years. And that has a lot to do with Fox and Rashawn Holmes and others' development. So I'm not necessarily saying they have a brighter future to their Memphis and other teams, but I do think there's reason to be excitement in Sacramento. Sacramento, to be excited in Sacramento. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say like the key difference really feels like Memphis is in a situation where they can be patient because they have um, a reason to bet on internal improvement. And Sacramento has has some of that, but it does feel like they're a little bit more short-sighted and focused on the now and more likely to chase after something in a trade, which is why we've seen them linked in so many conversations, you know, Siakam, Simmons, and, and these different guys here and there. So Kind of feels like a little bit of the opposites, but these teams are definitely going to be rubbing shoulders. I love the little bit of rivalry that seems to kind of be going on that maybe has just started from the media. And I'm guilty of this between Morant and Fox. Um, it felt like Fox had a little bit of a personal vendetta against Morant the first couple of years, specific, specifically Morant's rookie year. And Fox kind of has a thing of taking it to rookies. But I, I see that they get compared a handful of times and Fox seems to step up to that challenge. And Morant does the same thing. So always fun when these two teams pair off against each other. I'm sure we'll talk later on, Sean, in the year when that does happen. But again, everybody follow Sean on Twitter at StatsSAC. Easy to remember there for SAC fans. Again, uh, writes for SB Nation Grizzlies and does the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast, which you should definitely check out if you're interested in any and all things Memphis Grizzlies. And also check out, obviously, the King's Herald, where my work and everybody else's that writes for the fantastic site there is going up constantly. And take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoy this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.